Our scripture passage this morning is from the 13th chapter of John and begins on page 1673 in the blue Bibles that are in your seats. I'll be reading verses 1 to 15 and then verses 21 to 35. Before I begin, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would bless us by your Holy Spirit. Help us to uh, listen well, to hear and understand your word. Give us courage to follow you and be your disciples. And we pray that you would also bless Pastor John as he uh, preaches this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. John chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord, and your teacher have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Verse 21. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, son of Simon. 
As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered him. What you are about to do, do quickly, Jesus told him. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the feast or to go give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me just as I told the Jews. So now I told you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is the word of the Lord. of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, Lord God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I ask that they turn off the front lights. You might as well turn them all off. We don't. Anyway, it's absolutely delightful to be with you again. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, what I'm going to share with you was born in a, what I call a Holy Spirit moment. Um, it's absolutely wonderful when you go to church. I've been going to church, just turned 75 two weeks ago, and I remember going to church when I was four. I was the youngest at the time, and my father was very strategic. He would put me next to the armrest, and then he would sit next to me so that if I got too wiggly, he could put my his right elbow over my little body, thank you, and sort of keep me quiet until I decided to give up the struggle and, and just go to sleep. And so I, I, that was not a Holy Spirit moment. Uh, the first time I experienced a Holy Spirit moment was when I was nine in church. And somebody, the Spirit has an amazing way of catching you out. I remember I went to church that day with a buddy. And Ken will remember this kind of stuff. We could sit in the gallery because we needed to pump the bellows for the organ. And monkeys not being available, they get nine and 10 year olds to do that. And we were selected and we kind of thought it was wonderful because you could sit behind a curtain and you could goof off. I mean. I mean, two confessions. Nine years old, I went to church to goof off. And the Lord had other plans. Somebody got up and told a story, the Christmas story. And the Holy Spirit, I don't know what happened to my buddy, but the Spirit touched me, and I could just hear the story just come alive. And it was like 
meeting Jesus for the first time personally. It's a moment I've never forgotten. And then, so I've been going to church for 71 years, and sometimes it's blasé, and sometimes it's wonderful. And for 75, 74, 70 years, whatever, you hear the same passages, and, 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 and people read them, sometimes well and sometimes not well, and, and sometimes they just wash over you like just so much water. And sometimes the Spirit touches you, and you hear them for the very first time. And last April, April the 3rd, I went to church, and the pastor got up and read what was read this morning. A new commandment I give you. Monday Thursday comes from that, because in Latin it says a, a mandatum novum, a new mandate. And the old English just bastardized the mandate to Monday. It was Jesus reads the night before his death, uh, uh, the, day, the night before Good Friday. And he says, a new commandment I give you, love one another. Well, we, we've heard that umpteen times. What does Jesus want us to do? He wants us to love one another. Right. As I have loved you. That's what he said. Love one another as I have loved you. And I'm underlining the words, as I have loved you. And all of a sudden, the Spirit just grabbed me. As I have loved you. How did Jesus love his disciples? What did that look like? I always carry, my wife hates it, because with my little notepad, there is always a pen. I always carry a notepad. Because when you have a Holy Spirit moment, you got to write down what came. And of course, with the pen goes a, with the pad goes a pen, and with the pen goes not closing the pen, and with the ink in your pocket, all my shirts have ink in their pockets. She thinks it's awful, and I say, well, my ring on your finger reminds me that I married you. Ink in my shirts reminds me it's my shirt. Okay, so anyway, but the moment, the moment this, this was read, I, I reached in my pocket and I wrote down, how did Jesus love? How did Jesus love his disciples? Our culture tends to think of Jesus and love as something mushy. Again, um, I borrow this phrase from my wife who says, when I was young, we went to Sunday school and we got holy pictures. Nice pictures, sentimental pictures of Jesus with halos and little kids. And, and the next one shows you one of those holy pictures. It's uh, the little girl with the bows and the hair and the apple blossoms in the back and a little sheep on a pink ribbon and that wonderful little phrase, that little prayer that many of us knew when we were young, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon a little child, pity my simplicity, suffer me to come to thee. The words are from Charles Wesley. Lamb of God, I look to thee, thou shalt my example be. Thou art gentle, meek and mild. Thou wast once a little child. 
Jesus has been stuck with that description for years. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Look upon a little child. People teach that to their kids as a nighttime prayer. And the question is, is it appropriate? It's mushy. And Jesus was anything but mushy. Peter comes and he's got seven fingers up and it was not a mushy question for him. He said, do I have to give, forgive my brother seven times? And Jesus just comes at him like a tank and says, what? Seventy-seven times, if you please. Ain't nothing mushy about that. Nothing milk toast about that. Not gentle, meek, and mild about that. Seventy-seven times there is no end to it, Peter. And so at the Lord's Supper, Jesus stares his disciples in the eye and says, Love one another as I have loved you. How did Jesus love how can Jesus be your example for how to love your brothers and sisters in the Lord? We have lots of proof. We have the story of four Gospels covering three years of ministry. And we have plenty of ideas of what it looked like. This is by an illustrator called Ford. And you can tell if you look carefully at the picture, the guy on the left taking off his sandals and the guy next to him with his head in his hands and everybody just totally, totally out of it. Because here is the master. Peter said, you're not going to humble yourself to that point. I don't want you to wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And so you can tell by the body language that Peter is not a happy fellow. He wanted this to be a little mushier than it turned out to be. This is what the love of Jesus looks like. And it had gone on for three years. It starts very innocently. It starts when James and Andrew come to Jesus and say, Rabbi, where are you staying? Now, when we hear this with Western ears, we, we think, why would they ask Jesus where he was staying? Is, is Jesus at some B&B, or has he got a reservation at a good hotel cheap? This is not a Trivago kind of question. Where are you staying is Jewish for, can I be your disciple? Because disciples moved in with the rabbi disciples moved into the master's household and, and you did that so you could spend time Jesus loved people not by hugging and holding hands he loved people by spending time can we spend time with you can we hang out with you can we become your apprentices and apprentices lived in the master's house until they were fully trained. You get this from Paul. When Paul is arrested in the book of Acts, 
for bringing, they think, a, a Gentile into the temple. He has to defend himself, and he says, I, I am a Jew like you. I was born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but, but brought up in Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. And what Paul is saying is that Gamaliel was a tent maker, and I moved into his shop. I became his apprentice. I became his disciple. And he was in the strict manner of the law of our fathers. And so I got it poured into me from when I was a youngster until I was mature and able to go on my own. Jesus didn't have a shop. And so for Jesus, it was slightly different. This is why Peter says, or Jesus... When someone said, I want to follow you, he said, well, uh, good luck, because the foxes have dens and the birds have nests, but I have no place. I have no shop. You can't move into my back kitchen. I don't have one. When they needed to replace Judas, Peter said, we need one of the guys who accompanied us all the time Jesus went in and out among us from the baptism of John until he was taken up. One of these must become with us a witness to his resurrection. So Peter is saying, Jesus not having a shop of his own, Jesus who traveled from one end of Palestine to the other, constantly from Judea to, to Galilee, from Galilee back to Judea for three years. Peter says, somebody who was on the road with us, with Jesus, who shared his life on the road, must be with us a witness to his resurrection. So the first thing about Jesus loving people was spending time with them. We, we find this out. We went through a death in our family in the last month. And all of a sudden, when that kind of thing happens, what people do is they, they spend time. Person died five in the morning and at nine o'clock, the apartment where she lived was full with people. Bringing this, bringing that, bringing hugs, bringing food, bringing whatever. But just wanna be with people. And it was like that for Jesus. This is not mushy. This is very concrete. You know exactly. You've experienced this too. Trouble happens and all of a sudden the body shows up. Just like white blood cells come to the place of infection in your own physical body when you pick up an infection or you pick up a splinter. Time is the first visible token of Jesus' love. The second one was is that Jesus did not discriminate. Uh, Brother Francis hasn't figured this out yet, and, and Islam is miles away from it with their distinction between what men can do and what women can do, but, but Jesus did not discriminate, didn't give his affection and time to just men, he also gave it to women. Women traveled with them for three years, and Luke says that the women even supported the ministry. It's Luke 8, verse 1 to 3. Read it for yourself. Not only, but when Mary and Martha, or I think it was Martha, got her nose out of joint over having to do all the chores and said, hey, tell my sister to get up 
from your feet, from the disciples' spot, and help me, Jesus said, no. Mary can also study. And so Jesus did not discriminate where his time went. So that's point number two. And point number three is that if Jesus spent time with you, he would pour his life, his vision into you. Even, I don't know if Jesus ever watched basketball or football or whatever games they played back there, but wherever he was, whatever he did, on the road, by the wayside, at night, in the morning, it was nonstop sharing of his vision. There are 30 references in the gospel to Jesus teaching, to Jesus pouring his life into his disciples in many different settings. In, in the synagogue, in the temple, on the mountainside, from a boat, on the road, in private. When they couldn't understand the parables, they came to him at supper time and said, please, would you help us understand? And he did. And he not only did that with his disciples, he did it with the opposition. When they chewed him out for eating on the Sabbath in a grain field, he engaged in teaching dialogues with the Pharisees and the scribes. And when Nicodemus comes to him at night because he doesn't want to see, be seen in public, he teaches with Nicodemus. Half a chapter is devoted to it in the Gospel of Luke, and not only members of the opposition, but Gentile women. The woman at the well, he spends time with her. And so his disciples, but everyone else, if you came across Jesus, he'd want you to know that he was teaching and he was living and he was bringing into reality the kingdom of God. And he gave on the job training. He sent them out, first by 12, and then by 70. And when they came back, he debriefed them. The 72, says Luke, returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He had cast out demons. He had healed the sick. He says, go out there, preach the kingdom, heal the sick, cast out the demons, and they did it, and it worked, and they were excited. Jesus believed in on-the-job training, and he practiced tough love. No, no ribbons and little sheep in Jesus' ministry. I love this picture. It was taken in 1895. Somebody found it in the Library of Congress. It's the village of Bethany, 1895, before tourists before park paving lots and big Mercedes buses. And it reminds me of the story when they were coming home to Jerusalem from Galilee and they had to go through Samaria and folks in the village saw that he was going to Jerusalem and they refused to be hospitable. And James and John said, shall we tell lightning to come down and strike these dudes and he said no no 
You don't do that. You cannot call down fire on villages that don't welcome us. And when the mothers of Salem, their children brought to Jesus, the disciples in the background said, you can't do that to the rabbi. He's got no time for women and kids. You can't do that. And Jesus said, no. Stop saying that. Do not drive away the mothers and the children. Rather, unless you become like a child, you will not inherit the kingdom. And when the disciples spent a lot of time hassling one another about who was the biggest shot in the bunch and who was going to sit the closest to Jesus in the new administration, who was going to get the best office on Parliament Hill, and who would get a Mercedes and a driver. Then he said, no, stop fighting over who gets to be the greatest and who gets a throne. Jesus could be really, really tough. Tough love, not mushy love, was what Jesus was all about. And he was not afraid to scold. Man, if your pastor started scolding you and the elders in your meetings the way Jesus scolded his disciples, a few noses would be out of joint. Jesus was not afraid to scold. When Peter said, oh, we, we, we can't have you go to Jerusalem to die, he said, get behind me, Satan. And on the road to Emmaus, when they said, we had hoped that he would bring in the kingdom of David. Maybe the guys on the road to Emmaus didn't want a throne on the either side as the mother of the sons of Zebedee was looking for her children for. Maybe they just wanted to be, say, in the third row. Field level seats, please. And he said, you dummies. How foolish you are and slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. When he is transfigured and he comes down and they finds that a father with an epileptic son is looking for healing and they haven't been able to heal it, he says to them, you unbelieve and perverse generation. Man. That's mushy language. You unbelieve and perverse generation. How long do I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? And the one that makes me shudder the most is from Matthew in the hand-washing controversy. He says, are you still so dull? How can you be so dumb? Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. It's not your hand and your gut that defiles you. It's your heart and your mouth that gets you into trouble. Because out of the mouth comes what's in the heart. And it's in the heart that sin roots, not the gut. Are you still so dull? We all have petty sins. We all have favorite sins that we fall into when we feel sorry for ourselves or when we feel bad and we feel disappointed. And when we do that, then you come to this kind of the conclusion. You come to the Lord and you confess and you say, I'm so stupid. I keep doing it over and over and over. Are you still so dull? And sometimes you have to say yes. Forgive us. Give us again 
your mercy. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, even for the dull and the perverse and the dumb. And so Jesus, number seven, held people accountable. Peter has this big attitude. You're not going to wash my feet. They will leave, but I'm not. And Jesus says, before the cock crows three times, you will disown me. And Peter says, no, not me. And the cock crows, and he disowns. And he slinks off with his tail between his legs. But later on a beach, Jesus says, do you love me? Yeah, I do love you. Three times. Three times he denied him. Three times he holds him accountable. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved, and he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know how I love you. You also know how weak I was, how weak I am. But Jesus held his disciples accountable. He was, a, he was not afraid to say no to them. He was not afraid to rebuke them. And he called them on it when they broke troth and faith with him. The eighth thing was that he taught them how to pray. He modeled prayer. I find it so a wonderful statement in, in Luke when the disciples come to him and say, teach us how to pray, like, like John taught his disciples. Prayer is in the heart, but we don't know much about how to do it. And so we need to learn it, and he modeled it, and he taught them, and then he went one step further. He prayed for them as well, because he says, Simon, Simon, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Imagine spending a day with Jesus on the road. He's teaching, he's healing, He's casting out demons. He encourages you to teach, to heal, to cast out demons. When you do something dumb, he calls you on it. He sets boundaries for you. He holds you accountable. And then you look at him, and when you lie down in the garden and go to sleep, he's praying for you. The boss is praying for you. He's interceding for you. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And then when all is said and done, he gives up his life for you. He doesn't just sort of send you off on the road and go into retirement. He doesn't collect a pension. He doesn't go buy a cottage in the Muskokus and take it easy and go fishing and be a snowbird in Florida in the winter. No, he, he goes to Calvary. He carries his own cross. And he fulfills what is said in John 15, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And so as I have loved you, it's very specific, it's very blunt, it's very focused, and it has 10 parts.
For Jesus, to love someone was to spend time with them. He spent time with women as well as he did with men. He instructed. He poured his life into you. He modeled. He showed you how. He set bounds. He corrected. He held people accountable. He modeled prayer. He interceded for people. And then he gave up his life for his disciples. This ain't mush. This is hard, tough love. Love that comes from the Son of God. Love one another as I have loved you. Nothing mushy. How can we do it? The answer is very simple. The verses from Ephesians 3, verse 17. I pray, says Paul, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Notice plural. Not your heart single, but plural. Your, your hearts through faith. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may comprehend the height, the depth, and the width of the love of God. The love of the Father, the love of the Son. We experience this not as lone wolves, not as knights errant, not as people on a brave individual quest to dream the impossible dream, to fight the unbeatable foe. All that stuff from that musical and all the others like it is nonsense. I, I want to say BS, but it's not polite to do that on a pulpit. It's not individual effort. I was young and stupid at first as a Christian. I figured, oh, I could do this. But you can't do it on your own. What Jesus is saying is that love is rooted in community. Jesus' love is like a beautiful picture, but it's in the frame of his group of disciples. It's in community. And if we put Christ at the center of our community, if we focus on him together, if we love one another in the community that God has placed us in, then we can begin to follow the example and to become the model that Jesus holds before us. It's in community. Churches are not about buildings. And not about lovely setups, although I appreciate your setup. It's wonderful. But this is secondary. The community is primary. When you focus on one another, the way Christ focused on his brothers and sisters in his group of disciples, and when you love one another as he loved them as he loved us, then we fulfill the mission of God in the world. And that is to show the world that we are Christians by our love. This is the challenge of God to you for the year 2017. That you practice being a community of love and a community of devotion to him and to one another by the power of the Holy Spirit. When you knit yourself together as a clump of roots, when you are rooted together in Christ, you will blossom and grow and love 
as he loved his disciples. This is the word of the Lord, and God's people rejoice together, and they say, thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for leaving us such a concrete example of what you did and how you did it. Empower us to do likewise. We pray in your name, and we plead for your spirit. Amen.